and welcome to the Alien Minute podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel. And today we are talking about minute number 20, which begins with the floodlights coming on and ends with uh, Lambert listening in on a conversation. We're joined by Jason Heck, who's been with us all week. It's been really nice having you here, Jason. Coming from you, Mitch, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, so sincere and and serious about everything alien. Star Trek. <laughs> well, right. I, you, you ruined my joke that I had coming. But <laughs> Sorry, I can never keep it to myself. Um, it has been a great week. We are, we are talking um, in depth. Um, I, I dare say never before plum depth uh, about one of my very favorite movies, uh, a movie that was certainly formative for me um, as a kid and a movie that as I developed um, my understanding of, of cinema and technique and everything from writing to acting to story creation, um, it, it has only gotten better as I've gotten older. Um, this one minute <clears throat> at a time thing, kudos to those Star Wars minute guys, you yeah. know that's kind of amazing. No, it's a great idea. It's it's the this deep analysis of a movie is very interesting. I mean, first of all, it takes a movie you've seen how many times? I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, and I'm constantly even watching the minutes four times in a row. I see something different in the minutes those four times, and it's really I'm, I mean, we're going to know this movie inside and out, obviously. I think I should go home and try gladiator one minute at a time because my theory would be that it would not be as rich an experience there's something about this movie he was he was on his game yeah it's it's probably something to do with how fresh he was as a feature filmmaker i think he was i think there's something to be said about uh winging it as you go like he was learning as he went to even though he had a he really had a plan but i think as he was shooting we were talking with todd a few minutes ago when he was on about him like searching for shots, like using the handheld, having the AB camera searching for the shots. And I think that that gives it, again, we say this word immediacy all the time. I think that that's part of what I think he over, maybe overplans movies nowadays, yeah. not to start bashing. Or, over, or overcovers them. Or overcovers them. And I think that was, he had to have a pretty fine point to his pencil if he was going to manage to pull this thing off for, for the limited budget and the limited time, right. Right. the way that the studio was breathing down his neck. And certainly that was not the case when he became the director of, you know, Gladiator and these big giant spectacle sure. movies. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of any uh, all that heaven gate of heaven or whatever that that ter- that terrible thing about the crusades and Kingdom I, of Heaven. Kingdom of Heaven yeah. I thought was just wretched. I thought Robin Hood was awful and I uh, actually the only time I ever watch Gladiator is if I accidentally just poison um, and need to vomit it up quickly. Actually, <laughs> I, I really don't think. I, I think Ridley Scott has has been coasting on two spectacular movies um, and a and a galaxy of so so films. And this movie is spectacular. I think it's just everything. And I, I think you're you're exactly right that he is a a, a guy a, coming out of commercials, a strong visual sense. He has a good idea of what he wants to look at, but he is kind of. To a certain extent, I think like all first-time feature directors, a bit out of their depth in what they're they're dealing with, and you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. And he knows how to marshal the creativity of some pretty extraordinary individuals to to, to make a, the movie he wants. And Alien, I think, is just um, absolutely unimpeachably one of the very best science fiction horror movies of all time. Well, the, the way that these scenes in this minute are covered is pretty interesting. He he 
he had gives us a three shot um, right. of uh, of Kane, Dallas, and Ash, and that becomes pretty much the the entire engine of this one minute. Right. There's there's a slightly closer angle on it, uh, but it doesn't go in for traditional coverage beyond that. We have point of view shots of the readouts, and then the only other shot is um, is Veronica Cartwright sitting back on the other side of the room, kind of she can see Kane, mm-hmm. and we're focused on her in the foreground as she as she listens. And so there's a lot of economy in this one minute. Yeah. Definitely. The three shots are very pretty. It's really pretty. Um, the actors are so natural that they're not acting. I mean, they're everybody just kind of is pitch perfect in that. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a great scene, even though it's it's all it's really doing is conveying that the planet is in fact as hostile as it looks. That um, it, it is what they feared. That it is it is a place where humans really, really, really don't belong. And yet, you know, it, there's. Any of us would certainly have a rather high pucker factor about looking at this, and yet they're just sort of like, well, okay. If we have to walk, uh, you're the Boy Scout. You want to do it, but it's it's awful out there. And uh, and here we have uh, Veronica Cartwright, as you said, Lambert listening in, and she knows exactly where this is going. Mm-hmm. She she is nerv- nervously listening to how awful conditions are outside, how far away this distress signal is, which has brought them to this planet, and she knows in her gut that she will be probably joining the uh, search party. Well, I I do think that, that we get some Dallas reaction, maybe a little bit of a crack in the veneer uh, with Dallas here, because we've talked about plenty of times now that Kane is the go-getter of the crew. He's the one willing. He's duty-bound. He's going to do whatever it takes. And when he uh, comes up with the, with the great idea that we could just walk to where the signal is coming from, uh, Dallas gives a real nervous little laugh. And it's such a great performance. Well, it's great it's so because natural. he says walking distance. <laughs> so he's not asking permission. He's no. just stating this fact. And then Dallas knows exactly what he's thinking, spinning out. Yeah. And, he, and his reaction is really is terrific. And, of course, Dallas keeps the captain hat on and immediately goes into finding out what it would mean to walk out there. and Two and, kilometers through soup and gale force yeah. winds and rocks, any one of which could tear your suit open. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be an easy walk. And yet Kane is... Eager to do it. Eager, perfectly, totally willing to do it. And, of course, Ash is very coldly willing to uh, – I mean, he talks about mother says the sun's – mother says the sun's coming – the sun is coming out. I couldn't get that word out. It's kind of a funny little line in a yeah, way. Yeah, he starts – like, oh, the sun's he coming. He starts guys, the agenda. He's, yep. he's pointing in the direction. Spoken yep. by the guy who will be manning a science console inside the ship during the entire time. He knows he's not going out yeah. there. Yeah. He knows he has a station to be at. So he's quite gung-ho as well to say, oh, well, we'll have some light and we can go gallivanting outside. Yeah, and this, this, that line, too, is kind of redundant in the director's cut because we're getting, we get that line at the end of that cut scene from the director's cut where he says, um, what does he say now? I'm forgetting. At the end of the scene, they talk about, they're listening to the signal, and he says, we could, you could walk it. Or, right, right. And, we, and don't we talked to... about how we didn't need that. Yeah, you get it and here. And that was good why it was cut because you get it here. And it's it, and the later you get it, the better I think, as far as how the story unfolds. You yeah. don't need to get that underhanded sort of like uh, uh, suggestion. Yeah, the movie's pretty on. good at not telegraphing things, yeah. and so once they found that as a as a cutting style, probably that they they leaned into it. Um, the other cut that's interesting in this scene is is when he says that it's cold. Yeah, that at that point they cut to Lambert, and I just thought that was interesting because her first line in the movie is I'm cold. Yep. And so it seemed like 
bad enough all this other information, but clearly she's she's conscious of that, and yeah. so I mean, go to her reaction when he says how cold it is. Yeah, they're really just kind of laying the groundwork for her. Like again, it's her nightmare. Everything that's happening is just the last thing she wants to be doing. Mm-hmm. She knows she's gonna have to go out there. She's already cold. It's colder out there. Yeah, it's just she's, they're not home. They're, they're not halfway home. there. Yeah, she's she is clearly unhappy, and. With Ash reading off all of this data regarding the conditions outside on the surface, we hearken back to his displays uh, during the landing sequence. And he had one that was, we've established, a repeater of the topographical radar. But we also had this thing that was very, very hard to cipher, that was really... This weird display with a ton of numbers and a sort of bullseye indicating the ship, I guess, represented. But here we see that Captain Dallas and Exo Kane are entirely reliant on him to tell them what he's reading. Because the monitor's there for the three of them to read, but it is nothing but I think four column numbers um, just sort of scrolling up and down and there are occasional gaps in them. But Ash seems to read things like methane and and all these sorts of different uh, kind of climate factors and gases and elements. And the two of them seem to have no idea how to read that display. And I would have no idea. I mean, to me, that looks like complete gobbledygook. I mm. could never decipher that in a million years. And to me, that's another, this, to me, this is another one of those moments where it's like, well, a, a robot could read this. How mm-hmm. could a human being read this? So why but, aren't they, why doesn't, why are they not struck by that? It looks to me like they're, they're they expect him to read it. Yep, he reads right. it and that's, his, that's in his skill set. You're right. I mean, that's, well, Mitch, that's if we're going to puncture every theory, then you shouldn't even be on the podcast. You know, one person who could definitely, never mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. It's it's definitely you. It's definitely a weaker of my theories that there are all these clues that Ash is a robot. But um, still, it struck me yeah. as I was watching it. Like, well, you do. On, this, you, he's reading the Matrix. You, you definitely want to know. I remember watching it as a kid, first time I saw it, thinking, "How? Do, how what is all that?" Yeah. But you just kind of go with it because it's science fiction, I guess. But yeah. you're, you're right. It certainly looks like it would be difficult to read. And he's just pointing. It's moving. He's going right. fast. And he, he points at it, right? Like it's a pictographic says, display. By the way, he says methane. Right. Well, methane. He's, I just he's to... indicating <laughs> that he's focused on himself. I think that's how British. the English say yeah. it. He probably would say aluminium as well. I sh- I would hope he would say aluminium, yes. as that is the credit. And tornado. Tornado. Do they have tornadoes in England? Uh, Oldsmobile imported a few. Oh, okay. But I think there's there's validity on both ends here because what we have is clearly we have the two guys who fly the ship and run the ship can interpret the data. Um, and I, I kind of side with you that it's so completely unintelligible to humanize that it's just numbers, numbers, numbers. But Mitch is also right. They look to him to interpret it as a normal thing. So maybe they think he's just an exceptionally high iq science officer or maybe at the end of the day the graphics weren't quite there to show us a really enjoyable fun temperature display and so we had the prop department kind of fudging it it's probably okay. that's, that's probably the too. truth it, there might not be anything to read into it but it's yeah. more fun if there is 
Yeah, it's a sure. lot more fun if there is. And when you look at a movie one minute at a time, you got to look at everything, right? Right. I mean, this is this is when I did my minute by minute of Breaker Breaker. I, I was analyzing uh, every gauge inside the truck and uh, every dial on the CB radio. So I encourage That's you to listen. A, find that at Breaker Breaker dot Breaker Breaker Yeah. That was the Ken Adams set, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> it was so perfect that it had, it hadn't come out yet. The truck hadn't come out yet. It was too perfect. Peterbilt came in after him. It's, where did you get these plans? Ken Worth wanted to know exactly what kind of gear shift they were using. Yeah, it was it was amazing. It was incredible. Yeah, gentlemen, you can't fight. This is the truck stop. It was perfect. Yes. It was perfect. <laughs> No, actually, I, I don't encourage anybody to look for it. Please don't waste your time uh, looking for a non-existent podcast. You should absolutely write in and nitpick this one. Yeah. If you want to uh, hear more of the great Jason Heck, you might go to the DVD Guru's Facebook page and check out all of the archive shows that Jason and I do, have done over the years. We, we also have a few that with me uh, and Mitch as Smuggy, my ventriloquist dummy, um, and we had kind of a, a few fun back and forths. We uh, we did, I believe, the Rookie uh, Mompa Kettle in Hawaii and uh, the Road to Guadalcanal with uh, with uh, Bob Hope and Jerry Kalana. So we've got some good shows with Jason and Smuggy. Uh, so I encourage you to listen. DVD well, Guru. We'll, we'll link to this on the. Uh, on our Facebook on the website, page yeah. and on the yeah. website and so on, so you can hear all this. Yeah, Jason, maybe you come back, you know, a little bit later as the movie gets scarier. I would like to actually talk about the uh, end credits. Okay, so bring me in. We'll we'll go over the end credits and we'll. Uh, all right, that'll be great. Yeah, bring me in again. I I, I have um uh, all all the time in the world to make for talking about a movie this this good and this dear uh, this this near to my heart, um you know and and looking at it minute by minute with you guys, it's a couple of pairs of fresh eyes i see things that i didn't see before and you know i've seen this movie maybe 50 times maybe 100 um it's just because if it's on i'll stop and i'll watch it it's just it's that compelling for me and i know it back front to back it's, it's just, i know every gag in airplane but i still laugh when i watch airplane and this there there are pleasures in um in knowing something so well because it's so good it's i think that anytime some art critic looks at a painting he's looked at a thousand times and can still marvel at how wonderful it is i feel that way about a movie like this it's it's fun to, to plummet again and and to see just how good it is and how many ways it's good all right well thanks for coming this week yeah john that's, so that's gonna else? do it now i don't i was just gonna say that's well, a, that's thank you enough. john thank you smuggy thank you i enjoyed it all right thanks jason uh, so that's it for minute number 20 and the end of this week. Uh, tune in next week for minute number 21. Um, in the meantime, check us out at alienminute.com or follow us on Twitter at alienminutepod. See you next week.